Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Well, joining us now live in studio is the man who wrote, produced, and directed two video documentaries associated with John Brophy, Ducks on the Frozen Pond, A Brief History of the Long Island Ducks in 1995, and the Cougars, Maintaining a Hockey Tradition on Long Island in 2002. He worked at NBC Sports on their NHL coverage as well as four Olympic games. He's a member of the Society for International Hockey Research. He made the trip up the LIE, so we're thr- thrilled to welcome the author of the book you see right here on the screen, Brof. Greg Inkpen to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Greg. Great. Thank, thanks for having me, Mark. It's actually our pleasure. So first of all, tell us how a chance meeting with Tony DeMeo Jr. at a Kiwanis Club meeting sparked a decade-long obsession with the Long Island Ducks, which would lead you to John Brophy. Well, I, I always knew about the Ducks. I had a, an old game program from 1970, so I would have been about five when I went to one of the games. Um, I can't quite remember how I knew that Tony... Junior's father was president of the Ducks fan club. I probably saw it in the program or something. So my late father-in-law was part of the Qantas club in Massapequa, and um, I had heard that Tony Jr. was in the club, and I said, it's got to be related to Tony Sr. It's just got to be. So I was into collecting films back then, a lot of the 8mm, 16mm films of all the Eastern League games around that time. And I just went to one of the meetings and I said, you know, Tony, do you had, did your father collect any, you know, scrapbooks or, or any kind of uh, home movies? He goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, I got a bunch of reels, like color reels of the ducks from the sixties, early sixties, mostly early to mid sixties. So I said, you know what, can you just, can I just look at this stuff? Cause I just want to see it and I'll just make copies of it for myself and I'll, you know, make a copy for you to get it off those reels. And then I just, found so much in the scrapbooks and reading about Brophy, who I knew about before that. I knew he, he had coached the Leafs. Um, so so I decided to put together the, the documentary because I had all this material. So that's where it started. And then, then I guess the book started right after that. So, you know, when you're looking through all those news articles and stories that you got and, and from the former teammates, what was it that stood out about Brof that called out to you that said, you know, I want to go further. You know, aside from the documentaries, this guy is, is something that there's a book about. It, it was just, it was just that it was the stories. When you read, when you go through the scrapbooks, you see all the incidents he was involved with. <laughs> he, he had he had fights with fans in in other <laughs> cities. He he punched a referee at one time, knocked him out, and and uh, he got suspended for that. Um, so it was just. I knew there were a lot of stories, and I knew he knew a ton of people because he had coached for so long, he had played for so long. I, I said, there's got to be stories, and I started making calls, and in the end, I ended up making around about 150 interviews I did for the book, so um, I could have gone on and on with that. So, so let, let's set the stage a little bit for unlike you know people like me who actually saw him play way back when, let our audience know a little bit about what the Eastern Hockey League was like back in the, the 60s and 70s and how Brophy really epitomized what that league was like. He, he, was, he was loved where, wherever he played. The, f- the fans took to him. They, they really did. But when he would be traded from the Ducks, say, to, to Philadelphia or somewhere, and he would come back into Long Island to play in the arena, he was hated 
people would throw like throw things at him basically <laughs> uh, some woman one time I think took a pocketbook and swung it at him um, this is after he got traded away to, uh, from the ducks um, he he just it's just he he was just action that's that's what he was he was just Everybody loved him when, when he was on the dust. This was a pretty wild league. Oh, yeah, and, and this is interesting because anyone who's listened to our show over the years yeah. knows what a huge fan of the movie Slapshot I'm right. I am. But you set up the book with a line that really could have been from Slapshot, and the line is uh, from legendary hockey announcer Gene Hart. Uh, he basically said, with guys as competition... Attila the Hun would have won the Lady Bing. And he was talking about Brophy, uh, Perry, and Blake Ball of the Eastern League. Where did you come across that? I mean, that, that is an amazing line, and that really describes the Eastern yeah. League as well. Yeah, that, 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 that league, not much is written about that league. <laughs> and there were a few players that maybe had a cup of coffee in the NHL that ended up in, going to the uh, EHL and playing there for years and just retiring after that. But... Um, that, like, and like you said, it, it, people like Blake Ball. Blake Ball was a Canadian Football League player, and he he would come and play hockey. He, he and it was just the players. Most of them probably made around 150 a week. That was probably the average salary back then. So a lot of the players needed to work in the summers. Brophy worked, uh, did a lot of iron work. He built Long Island, yeah. Right? He, he built uh, Hop Hog High School and uh, a few other schools. <laughs> I mean, that, that's Island. wild so, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, and it, but but he he had a great work ethic, and that goes back to when he would go out to Vancouver, where his father was working on the uh, the CNR, the Canadian Railroad, out there. And Brophy would go out. This is going back to his junior days. He would drive spikes next to his father into into, into the ground for like the whole summer. So he would come back um, in, in great shape. To, to start the season. So how does somebody play in a league like the Eastern Hockey League, which to some extent pro, to some extent semi-pro because everybody had other jobs, how does somebody like that find his way to end up eventually, briefly, coaching in the National Hockey League? <laughs> well, Bro- Brof was all, he was all hockey. That that was obvious. Um, I guess, I mean, going back to his childhood, he was into track and field. He was into rugby. He played a lot of sports. Hockey baseball was, too. Yeah, baseball was a really good baseball player from what I was told. And hockey just, it evolved. I mean, I guess once he went to juniors and he figured, you know, maybe I can go a little further with this. And then he ended up going into like the senior league and kind of got lost there a little bit. Um, but he, he just, he was all hockey. He, it, it cost them three marriages, actually, because he... He would tell his wives, he'd say, you know, I got, I got to go coach. I got an offer somewhere. I got to go. And the wife would be like, well, I don't really want to leave, but go ahead. You know, if this is what you want to do. So he just would pack up and go and just go to different uh, cities to coach. You would love him as a baseball player, Arnie, because he was playing center field in a game once. And I think someone came in hard at the shortstop of second baseman and, and broke, came in from center field and dropped yeah. the gloves, yeah. the baseball yeah. gloves, and yeah. basically punched out the, the guy. That's <laughs> with, a hockey player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. crazy. But, uh, you know, you also, I mean, I have to commend you because the interviews throughout the book of the amount of you know, research you did, but not only that, you got one of hockey's greatest historians to write the forward. How did you come about getting Stan Fischler to do the forward to the book? Well, I used to work for Sports Channel in the late 80s, so... I would do Islander and Devil games. I would do uh, Chiron graphic work for, for for the games, and I would sometimes go to the uh, sites, to the to the arenas, work on the TV trucks. So I kind of got to know him then. Um, 
and just throughout the years, I'd see him like at Madison Square Garden where I worked, and I would just run into him at different times. And uh, I just got a hold of uh, his number and asked him, and I wasn't sure if he was going to do it. You know, he's very busy. He was, you know, he was a couple of years away from retiring still, but uh, he was into it and he, and he wanted to do it. You mentioned the amount of people that Brof has come across. Uh, he's truly Johnny Cash's everywhere man, as he's claimed to have traveled over a million miles by bus since first starting his full-time coaching gig in 73 with the Cougars of the North American Hockey League until he finally retired from coaching at age 74 in 2007 with Richmond. Um, after a 20-year playing career in low-level rough-and-tumble Eastern League, he did make it to the big leagues as a coach in the WHA for a season three with the Leafs. So that's a huge body of work. How did you go about setting up guys who you wanted to talk to about John as he coached, worked with, or played with? And, you know, it, it seems like you interviewed well over 100 people for the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I, I felt that if I interviewed a lot of the tough guys, those guys have the best stories for some reason. Yeah. Um, just I can't even get to name all the players that I that I spoke to that 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 had great stories. Uh, one guy was Ken Tasker, who played for Brof in the East Coast Hockey League in the, in the uh, I guess the early '90s. He played for him. Uh, Basil McRae's brother, Chris McRae, he was another great storyteller. So I kind of went, I kind of gravitated towards those guys. But I also interviewed, you know, the stars of the team as much as I could. Um, pretty much everybody agreed. Uh, maybe one one person that didn't want to be well one person I tried to get an interview with was the commissioner of the EHL in 72 73 the final season was uh, Norm McLean and uh, he wanted to get paid so that interview did not happen (laughs) Norm McLean actually played for the Ducks didn't he? No I don't think so he's So, you know, it's funny because I think the first time I ever heard about John Brophy was by Bill Chadwick, and that's before he was the Leafs coach. You know, Chadwick would tell stories about the legendary tough guys of the game. And I remember Sam Rosen and JT talking about his legendary toughness when he was the the coach of Toronto. And looking back at it now, I kind of find that fascinating because, you know, yes, AJ went to a couple of Ducks games, but the Ducks, in the overall scheme of things as far as hockey – wasn't covered tremendously. We're, we're talking no internet back then. You know, yes, the hockey news did have little stories and, about the and, Eastern and Hockey Newsday League. Did news, cover them Newsday did yeah. But John Brophy was legend in hockey circles. What do you attribute his legend to? Because he was well known throughout hockey circles. Um, as far as playing uh, on Long Island? Yeah. <laughs> Again, it was it was his personality. That <laughs> he 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 just lived hockey. He would also. Um, he would also go around uh, and do clinics. He did one, I, I believe he did one in Marjorie Post Park in Massapequa. He would go to uh, other, other other towns where there were rinks. He would also, what I found out, I think it was after I, I wrote the book, that he would sharpen skates uh, at the arena for, for, for just, not just for the players, but for people that were just there skating. for a skating session. He was, he was always around the rink. He would always help out. He helped out uh, Val James's father, Henry, who used to uh, basically use the, you know, the jack of all trades at the arena. He was the Zamboni driver. He he would set the stage for concerts when when, when hockey was being played and the circus and wrestling and all that stuff. So he he got to know uh, Henry really well. So he hung out with him a lot. The more I read the book, the more I kept on seeing a lot of John Tortorella in, in, in Brophy, and. 
But there was one story that I can't even attribute it that that Torts would ever do this. And that's about a player named Jim Jago. Do you know which story I'm talking about? Yeah, Could you share that with our audience? Yeah, that was. Uh, I, I spoke to Jim Jago. He, he used to play in, in the Eastern League against Brophy for a number of years. Uh, I was going back a few years when I when I spoke to him, um, and he said that he went. Jago went down like in a, in a pile in a corner or something, and he's on his back and he looks up. And he sees Brophy standing there with his skate in the air, ready to step on his neck. So Jago deflects it with his glove. He, he, <laughs> he, he couldn't believe it. He could not believe this happened. But, <laughs> but Brophy would do crazy things like that. You, you know, I, I mentioned this to Mark and to, when we found you and I. You know, one of the great stories about Brophy, one of the great ironies, and I remember back in the 60s or early 70s, maybe a little later, there's a Schaefer beer commercial hmm. in which Brophy, who kept on getting thrown out of games, who punched out referees, Actually played a referee right. in the commercial, so I can right. tell. Yeah, that, that the 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 myth is that he played the referee um, before he got suspended for. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, um, actually, you know what? Uh, he got suspended in December that one year for for pushing down Bill Pringle, the referee. Um, and I believe he did the commercial before. Uh, that's right. It was two months before the suspension. Uh, he had done a, a commercial for Schaefer Beer, and he, John remembered how much he, he it's in the book, he, he told me how much he got paid, and residual checks were, were still coming in a few years after that, so, yeah, he did, he, he got dressed in the, uh, in the zebra, you know, zebra stripes on the referee, and, uh, and they filmed it there at the arena. Ironic that he does a Schaefer Beer commercial, because there's also a story in there about how um, when they were bringing beer on the truck on the bus one time, team bus that he just took with and just threw the beer down yeah. and broke all the bottles. And yeah, yeah, Bro, Bro, Bro was not a fan of uh, fraternizing with the other players, right. and and, it, and he always said, you know, if you guys win, it's great, you can have some beer on the bus. But this one game, they lost, and he saw one of his players talking to the other the other team, and he and he got he got really annoyed <laughs> with that, so he picked up the case of beer over his head and smashed it. Wow. <laughs> Again, going back to the torts, you know, mentality, another thing Brophy's teams were always very well conditioned. He he would condition the guys and he, you know, you mentioned Val James and he had this really peculiar drill to make Val James a better skater. Could right. you tell us about right. that? It was crazy. Right. Um and you had just mentioned Tortorella. I I tell people if they've never seen Brophy, if just compare him to Earl Weaver of okay, baseball. That's a good, that you good you see Earl Weaver on on YouTube or something screaming at umpires. That was Brophy, white hair and all. So, so anyway, uh, Val, Val used to Val knew John from when he was a kid. Um, Val was born in Florida and then moved up and lived in Hop Hog for a time. I went to Hop Hog High School, I believe. Um, and he knew John back then. Val had played for a team called the Long Island Ducklings. It was basically a you know, a might, a might team, whatever, whatever they called them back then. Um, and then John got him to play in the minors with him in St. Catharines, and he would, he would, he would have Val start at the players' bench, have him skate across the ice over to the penalty box, walk into the penalty box, climb the glass partition that separated the two <laughs> penalty boxes. Go into the other box, come out, and then skate across back to the players' bench. <laughs> That's how he was. Yeah, he was no a very unorthodox 
methods of training. He never touched out a fan in the stands while he went <laughs> penny, one penalty box to the other. <laughs> then maybe that's oh. he, he was training the Boston Bruins for, right. for a later date. Um, you know, he's an assistant coach for Dan Maloney for the Maple Leafs, but Harold Barrett really wanted him as a coach. He actually made him a coach before they talked contract and before they signed the contract. How did that go down? Uh, well, Ballard, he really loved Brof. He loved his storytelling. He loved his bravado. He just, he, he just knew he was a tough. Uh, he was going to be a tough coach. Um, there was, he he had, Brof had been with uh, the Nova Scotia Voyagers of the Montreal system, and then they cut him loose there, and 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 I guess they found out that the, the Leafs found out that he was available. So, um, after a while. Um, Ballard soured on uh, Maloney, and he was all in on Brof. He wanted him, um, and John told him, "He goes, he goes, he goes. Uh, pay me like a pro coach." He goes, "I know it's my first year in NHL, but I've coached for a long time in different leagues, and I'm not a first year coach." So he was honest about that, and, and Ballard loved that, and uh, he kept him on for just you know those two and a half years. It's amazing when you say you know he, he says that he's coached. People don't realize this, but as a professional hockey coach, he accumulated 1,027 victories. That was the highest, the second highest amount in professional hockey next to Scotty Bowman. Yeah. But you never hear him, you know, you hear Babcock, you hear, you know, Scotty Bowman, you hear all the, you never hear Bro f- included in great because coaches. Of where the came from. Why do you think that his legacy isn't bigger? I think it was mostly because. The majority of his time was spent in the minors. He, it was not covered the way an NHL teams get covered. I mean, he was in the he, he coached Long Island Cougars in the North American League. Then he goes to the Southern League, so you don't really hear much about that. And um, many years with Hampton Roads in, in Virginia, and he wins three championships there. He wins two in a row, and then he wins a, a third one uh, in his time there. So I, I I really think that's what it was. I, I just. He didn't stay in the NHL that long, so that was pretty. He, he he's about to get passed, by the way, Brophy, by a guy right. named Steve Martinson. Right. Used to be a, a Ranger a farmhand. Um, so, still to be pretty close to Bowman is, is right. something else. Absolutely, you know the book also paints a full picture of Brophy. I mean, lots of tragedies in his life. Yeah, you know the car accidents, house fires when he was younger. Um, there's a story that's been out there forever. Uh, I think Jeff Brubaker, if I remember correctly, Jeff Brubaker you know, recounts it in the book. Uh, it's about a kid in a wheelchair. Yeah. Um, why did you feel comfortable sharing that story um, in the book? And, you know, why did you feel that it was necessary to be in the book? That, that was something, my theory going in was, there's the sanctity of the locker room in. And if a player had told me, if, if a player had started a story saying, you know, I don't know if I should tell you this, but, and he tells me the story, I didn't really, I didn't include those stories. But Brubaker did tell me that story about John pushing the, the, the kid in the wheelchair out the door. And I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to publish that part. And then I was looking on the internet and I found out one of, um, one of Brubaker's teammates told a story online somewhere. So, then I, my thinking was, if, if it's if it's out there already, if it's on the internet like that, and I can confirm it with someone else, then I think it's fair game. So yeah, the the story is basically, he comes into a locker room after a loss and says, "You guys," and it was, 
unfortunate timing because they had kids with special needs at the game prior, and one of the kids was a big, I think it was the Voyagers at that time, was a team maybe? Th- yeah, it was, yeah. It, was, it was. And he was a fan, so after the game, even though they had lost, the kid was in the locker room getting stuff signed, and Brophy comes in and says, you guys skate like a bunch of invalids. And then he sees this kid in the wheelchair, what the hell is this? Yeah. and he pushes the kid into a wall. Yeah. I, I mean, like, yep. really. Right out the door. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it was interesting because, you know, it was obvious that you re- really wanted to get the full flavor of Brofa. I wanted to know, yeah. you know if you the, were torn about that. No, but, no. I, again, once, once I saw it online, I figured it was okay to put in. I, I, I want to say that that's, it was cruel what he did, but yeah. John loved kids, and Kids and I, dogs. Yeah, like, yeah. Kids and dogs. just love kids. Wait, and, torts, same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's yeah, very, yeah. very uh, I kept on coming yeah, back yeah. to torts. It's yeah. very funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, 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 but John, um, Bill Lumley, who was the trainer of the Ducks for, for a long time, I spoke to him um, just before he passed away. This is years ago. Um, and he said John loved his kids. I mean, he would play with Bill Lumley's kids, and, and and he was very respectful and always had time for them. So yeah, that was that was John. He, he could go off the rails at times, but he was really a, a, a good guy, though. So we kind of put a new spin on get knocked down nine times, get up ten. There was <laughs> a get traded six times, come back seven. How yeah. did that kind of work out? Yeah, that, that that that's another kind of myth I had to to to, to dispel in the book that he he. I forget the exact number. He was only traded like maybe twice okay. um, and reacquired like maybe three times. Um, that was always an exaggeration that Muckler had <laughs> gotten them traded and gotten them traded. <laughs> yeah. I know that, that was a little excessive. That wasn't really true. Best resource, like of all the guys you interviewed, who gave you the best stories? Uh, the owner of the uh, Hampton Roads Admirals, uh, Blake Cullen, who had a career in baseball before he got into hockey. He told me some really good stories. He was very honest, and, and he told me really just great stories, and they're all in the book. And, and he was one. Um, Ken Tasker, again, he, he was one of his fighters, and he told me some really good stories. And um, So it depends. It was, But th- those are the two that come to mind right now. Best place for people to get a hold of the book? Uh, it's only available on Amazon. It's in the uh, softcover and Kindle version. Great, great stuff. Uh, really, and you know what, Adrian, I have to ask you this: is is that a pen name or is that your real name? Oh, no, it's my it's my name. It's That's an English great, name. That is a there, great there, name there, for an author. There, I, I gotta, there, there's a town in in England called Inkpen, and, and my parents have been. I have never been there, but it's a small little town. But so yeah, that is that's right. So that is not a pen name. That is, that, is no, his na- <laughs> that is his not gnome de plume. It is not. It is Greg yeah. Inkpen. Great book, bro. Get it and go out to Amazon. It's in the bestsellers of hockey. I see it there every day, so it's a great. And we really appreciate you coming into the studio. 